names, as that would make it too easy for the KGB's eavesdropping devices. In fact, Soviet acquaintances rarely identify themselves at all, leaving you to guess who is at the other end of the line. Where are you? I asked. I was pleased to hear from Misha, for I wanted to say goodbye and give him some books he had asked for. I'm at the airport on my way back to Frunze, but I'll be back next weekend and I'd like to see you. Fine, I replied, relieved that I did not have to go out that evening. Give me a call, I've got something for you. As it turned out, Misha had something for me, too. I had first met Misha, Mikhail Luzin, more than four years earlier, in March 1982, in a restaurant in Frunze. I was on assignment to the Muslim Republic of Kyrgyzia in Soviet Central Asia with my colleague Jim Gallagher of the Chicago Tribune. The region was of particular interest to journalists because of its high birth rate. Its population threatened to outnumber that of European Russia by the year 2000. Also, Kyrgyzia was close to Afghanistan, and we hoped to discover how the Muslim population in the Soviet Union viewed the guerrilla war, then in its third year. We were staying at the Alato Hotel, a pretentious, unimaginative place. The evening of our arrival, we went down for a late dinner. The dining room was like most Soviet restaurants that cater to foreigners. First to be seated in the cavernous room were the overseas visitors with their hard currency. The rest of the diners that evening appeared to be townspeople, and I was sure they had waited in line for hours for the chance to eat a better-than-average meal, dance to the deafening band, and watch or perhaps even talk to foreigners. As we were finishing our meal, a tall young man at the next table left his companions and approached us. His features were unmistakably Russian. The high, broad cheekbones, the slightly ruddy complexion, the blonde hair. His teeth were unusually white and straight. Soviet dentistry is decades behind that in the United States. May I join you? I heard you speaking English. Offering his hand, he introduced himself. My name is Misha. He was not dressed in the flashy clothes preferred by black marketeers, nor did he have the overconfident furtiveness typical of the KGB types who hang around hotels frequented by foreigners. Still, Jim and I were cautious, because in the Soviet Union, chance meetings with strangers are always suspect. At the American Embassy in Moscow, in fact, suspicion becomes outright paranoia. The embassy's security officers automatically assume that every Soviet who associates with a foreigner is a potential KGB agent. Diplomats are instructed to venture out only in pairs and to report each contact with the citizen. But correspondents are in a different position. To cover the Soviet Union, they must take risks. They cannot rely solely on official briefings and newspaper reports. They must dig below the surface, develop their own unofficial sources wherever possible, and immerse themselves in Soviet life. Jim and I exchanged a glance and a nod. Misha looked okay, so we invited him to sit down. We ordered a bottle of champagne, a regular part of Soviet social life, along with cognac and vodka. As we sipped our drinks, Misha told us he was a fourth-year student in the philological department of Frunze University. Like so many young Soviets who are deprived of information about the West, he was immensely curious about the United States, and American literature in particular. He longed for books and magazines, and listened to the voice of America for rock music and news of the latest Western fads. Our conversation ranged over a host of political issues, from the troubles in Poland to the Soviet Union's relations with China, which in Kyrgyzia lies to the south, just beyond the Tianshan Mountains. Since we were particularly interested in Afghanistan, and since Misha was a young man of military age, he was an ideal person to question. Only recently, 
Marshal Nikolai Agarkov, chief of the Soviet general staff, had publicly complained that many young men were developing pacifist tendencies. Misha acknowledged a certain restlessness and boredom among his university friends, and said that some students he knew were taking drugs. He described poppy growing near Kyrgyzia's Lake Isikul and the black market trade in pot with Moscow. A joint, he said, would bring one ruble on the streets of the capital. Our life is so boring that some people try to make it more interesting with narcotics. They aren't exactly imitating Western ways, but they think they're giving meaning to their lives. But when discussing the Afghan war itself, Misha's views were more orthodox. He gave us the party line. The Afghan government invited us in to help them. Our military is very strong, and that's what counts. In Afghanistan we will win. We will crush them. Our people are very patriotic, and we believe in our government. Despite his clear acceptance of the Soviet position, there was something very likable about Misha.